You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our Christmas series we're calling The Ancient Light. With this week's message, here's shepherding pastor Joe Cook. So when I was growing up, I had a really good friend. His name was Matt. Uh, Matt's family had a ranch on the Red River. It's three square miles along the Red River, and every time that I got to go with the family out there to do something, I was just enthralled. It was one of the happiest places. I, I just loved to go there. I felt like I was going into the Wild West. My grandfather had gone out there and helped them uh, you know, herd cattle and stuff like that, and it used to be part of the Wagner Ranch. There's all this history involved in it, and I just loved it every time we got to go out there. So Matt and I, we'd known each other our whole life. We'd been in the same babysitter before kindergarten, and we're in the same class. So we were in all kinds of adventures and misadventures from time to time. And we were begging our parents to let us go camping on the river. And we begged, and we begged, and we begged. And finally, at age 14, they gave in. Now, I remember what I was like at 14. I'm not real sure why they gave in. I was talking to my mom last night at dinner. I said, Mom... I'm really surprised, I mean, because you knew what Matt and I were like, and she said, it wasn't my idea, that was your dad. I thought, oh, okay. Well, we got set free, and not only did we get to go camping at the river, they let us drive to the river at 14. I know you're thinking, that's crazy. You should have seen him drive. It was really crazy. But we made it there safely, and we got there not long before dark, and the guy, me, who brought the tent couldn't get the tent put together. It was one of those tents. I don't know if any of you remember the tents with aluminum poles. They had about 10,000 pieces and they had to go just right. And, you had to, and so we, we could never get the tent put together right. So we had to figure out what we we're going to do to sleep. So we're looking around we're like, well, we got sleeping bags. Let's sleep in the bed of the truck. That term bed for bed of a truck, it, it's not, it doesn't really translate into the kind of bed you're expecting. But we put our sleeping bags in the back of the truck and we laid there and then I remembered something about myself, something I didn't tell a lot of people. I haven't told a lot of people as an adult. I was terrified of the dark. I'm not just a little bit. I mean, irrational fear. When I was a child, I would have a hard time going to sleep if someone didn't stay in the room with me. And that fear of the dark, it carried that into my high school years. Now, why I didn't put together, you know, two and two that it's going to be dark out there at some point, I don't know. But I'm laying there in the bed of this truck, and I'm like, this is, this is dark. Here's the thing. Darkness in the woods is a different kind of darkness. <laughs> it's really dark. And all the trees have merged together to make these ominous dark walls all around you. And every sound that you hear is a serial killer coming to get you. Okay? It's probably just a possum moving around in the, in the weeds, but they're coming to get, and my friend's dad didn't help matters because he told us about the wild man of the river, right? So everything we hear, we're like, so I'm really scared. Now, I'm not saying my friend was just as scared, but we didn't sleep that night. We finally, we got up. I can't sleep. No, I can't sleep either. What do you want to do? I, let's get in the truck. <laughs> it's safer in there, you know. So we get in the truck. Well, then the windows are dark, and we're like, oh, you know, every movie you've ever seen is some arm reaches into the window, right? Well, what are we going to Well, let's move. So we decided it'd be a good idea just to drive around the river at night. Great. Sandy roads. Roads, we use that term loosely, okay? Trails. 
So we manage to drive around all night, and we don't get stuck. We don't get, you know, in the ditch or anything. And we start to realize it's getting close for the sun to come up. And we're tired, we're exhausted, and I'm still scared. And the aching weight of when is the sun going to come up? When? How long? I mean, I'm looking at our, at our watch or a clock that we had, and surely it's coming up soon. I don't know if you've ever waited for the sun to come up, but when you're, really, when you're chilled and scared, you really want the sun to come up. And finally, the sky in the east started to lighten a little bit, and I'm like, okay, it's coming, and it's coming, but it, it just took forever and ever. And then finally, still scared, we, we kind of get out into a little wide open places so we can see whoever's coming to kill us, right? So we're out there, and we're watching, and, and the first ray of sunlight comes across the plains and hits the trees. And you can see the dew on the grass. You can see the color in the trees. Now the trees that were so ominous before, they're not this big mass of, of darkness that's scary. Now it's, it's individual trees, and they have color, and all of a sudden, my fear's gone. Now the sense of adventure's kicked back in. I'm like... Hey, let's go into the trees, the place I was terrified to go before. Now, every sound that we heard, we wanted to investigate it. The animals that we had been hearing, the coyotes howling at night, we spotted a coyote, we chased the coyote, we tried to shoot it with our pellet gun. The coyote's okay, okay. Um, it was an adventure. It's like everything was the same except the sun had come up. We had flashlights, we had a dome light in the truck, we had the headlamps. And all those things were great. They kind of kept us through the night, but it just wasn't the same. When the sun came up, everything changed. The whole world looked different. It really hadn't changed. It just changed in my eyes. If I had had a blindfold on, I wouldn't have known, would I? You see, the light makes a big difference. Last week, Lance talked to us about the overcoming light, that the light that Jesus brought overcomes the darkness. This week, our title is The True Light. So I'd invite you to join me back in the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. And this morning, we're going to start, um, our focal passage is 9 through 13, but we're going to start at verse 6, because I want you to see what um, John the Baptist said about this one who was coming. So let's pick up in verse 6 of chapter 1 of John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He's referring to John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, verse 8, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then we read verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's our whole passage. We're going to talk about this light that came into the world. John said, I'm not the light, but this one that's coming, he's the light. Remember the flashlights and the campfires and the dome light? They were true lights. When we read this word here at verse 9, 
the true light. It's not saying that the other lights were false or not real lights. They were real lights. This word true is more than non-falsehood. It has to do with the original light, the source of light. It's quantitatively and qualitatively different than any other light that they've experienced before. Moses was telling the truth. Elijah spoke the truth. The prophets, all the prophets and the Psalms writer, they were teaching the truth, but they weren't the light. John is saying the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. A number of chapters later, Jesus is going to say this about himself. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am, and notice, not a light, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's the light. And he's coming into the world. Look at that last part of verse 9. The grammar here tells us he was coming, he is coming, and he continues to come. One of the things we'll see this morning is that God is still approaching us through Jesus. He's still bringing the light and offering it to us. It didn't stop back then, but this idea of coming, it speaks of the incarnation. The most miraculous thing, the most important thing that ever took place in the history of the universe is God entered into his creation. God became man. Look, look at what it says. It says he was in the world. And the Bible describes that as a dawning. Look at what Matthew says. He records Isaiah's words. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, and then the big announcement, the people dwelling in darkness. They've seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them, look at that, a light has dawned. Remember my story? That first ray of light? 2,000 years ago, there was a, what we celebrate as Christmas morning, there was this nativity, there was a baby born into the world, and that was that first ray of light. And ever since then, people who have been placing their faith in him have had that light dawn in their hearts. And maybe that was a great experience for you. Maybe you remember it. I have a, a story about my dad that I'll never forget. He just told it to me a few years ago. It was shortly before he died. He was telling me about his experience of baptism. Now, in the last part of my dad's life, he kind of had a spiritual revival. And he started reading the Bible again, and we started having great conversations about Scripture. And he told me this story that I'd never heard. He said, Joe, I'll never forget as a little boy... When I place my faith in Christ, I'll never forget the baptism. He said, I was baptized, I went out and got in the car with my parents, and I can remember looking out the windows at the night sky, and he said, it just didn't seem as dark. He said, the sky was, it was bright, and the stars were just so brilliant and so crisp, and he said, the whole world just looked different to me. You see, Christ had dawned in his heart. He received it. But what we read this morning is not everybody receives it. Look at verse 10 with me. We're going to see that some don't receive this. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. The world did not know him. Now I want you to think about being in the dark. If you're in the dark, in a dark place like the woods or something, and you hear somebody coming and you hear footsteps and you look out, and you see someone coming at you that you don't recognize, 
are you feeling more secure or more scared? <laughs> You're feeling more scared. When we read that they did not know him, what, what, is, it, what is it saying there? What is, what is he communicating to us that here the light has dawned on the world and they did not recognize him? This dawning took place and it changed everything. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Do you see what he's saying there? Remember the prophets? Those were true lights, but they're lesser lights. They weren't the light. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And there's a light word. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The writer of Hebrews is grasping for the language to talk about the incarnation. God has become a man. I, it's like a painter were to enter his painting. Can you think about it? Jesus is the agent of creation. Do you see that? They were made through him. It's held together by him, and yet he has entered into it. Emmanuel, that's what the angel said. You'll call this one Emmanuel. It wasn't so much a name as it was a title. And if you know it's him that's coming to you in the dark, that makes a difference, doesn't it? But what if you don't know? What if you don't recognize the light that has dawned? And why would they not recognize it? Have you heard of the phrase confirmation bias? Confirmation bias is described this way. The tendency of people to favor information that confirms their existing beliefs or hypothesis. Now look at that. The tendency of people, that's you and that's me, we all have this issue, of favoring information that confirms our hypothesis. Okay? We all have this problem when we read Scripture. We have this problem when we read the news or listen to the news. When we believe that something is a certain way, we start looking for information that supports it. The Israelites were looking for a different kind of Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah that was going to come in on a war horse and vanquish the Romans and get rid of all these bad people, and then our, our country will be ours and everything will be good. And Jesus shows up. He's humble. He's suffering servant. They've been taught that, but they didn't gather that information. They gathered the information from the teachers that they wanted. We could say that the rejection of Jesus by his people is the worst case of confirmation bias in the history of the world. They were looking for a certain kind of savior. He dawned, it was there, it was real light, but it's as though they had blindfolds on. Like if I had been out there in the woods and the sun had came up, but I put blindfolds on and a sack over my head, the light would not have done me any good. If someone you don't recognize approaches you in the dark, you'll run from them, you'll hide from them. We read, the world did not know him. It's because he wasn't the one they expected. Look at verse 11. He came to his own. Now that word's a little bit different than the second his own. This own has to do with creation. He made everything. He made the ground that he's walking on. He made the, the cross that he's going to hang upon. He made everything. He made the people. And he's come in as the painter enters his painting. And he's there and he's a part of it with them. 
But then the second, his own, gets even more intimate. Look at that. He came to his own people. He chose the people of Israel. He called Abraham. He led Moses and the Exodus generation through the wilderness. He was part of them. He shares genetic DNA with this particular race of people. Jesus had half-brothers. He had half-sisters. He had a mother. He had a father. He had a cousin. That was John the Baptist. I want you to think about it. He may have had nephews and nieces. Uncle Jesus, can you imagine? He had a people... I don't want you to miss the fact that he came to people that he looked like and they looked like him. He shared a history with them. He's fully God, but he's fully man. Right now, at this moment, sitting at the right hand of God the Father is a Jewish man. Jesus came to his own people. And look at what we read. They did not receive him. And it made him sad. Matthew 23. Did you know that you can make God sad? We read this. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen, gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Some of the saddest words in Scripture. He came to his own, his own creation, his own people. He's walked with them from the very genesis of their life. And they see him, but they don't recognize him. They reject him. They did not receive him. And that verse points to something else. They were not willing. Confirmation bias sometimes can just be, okay, I'm convinced this is the way the Messiah is going to look. He doesn't look like that, so I'm not, this isn't adding up. But there's another issue. You see, the part about not being willing is he's just not the kind we want. He's not the kind of Messiah we want. And part of what we're going to learn as we close today, when we get closer to the end, is that we have to understand that when Jesus comes, we have to take him as he is. We don't want to get hung up by by the confirmation bias. Some fear the dark like I did. Others love the darkness. Three chapters later, Jesus says this, And this is the judgment, that light, that's himself, has come into the world, but people have loved darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. The works of darkness, the works of evil. A few years ago, the FBI did a study. In this study, they wanted to see when do the most, when do violent crimes, crimes that end in death, happen the most often? What they discovered was this. Of DWIs, DUIs, 87% take place at night, after dark. Murder and manslaughter, 65% take place at night. Sexual assault takes place 59% more times at night. The works of darkness tend to take place at night. Apostle Paul wanted us to walk as children of the light, and he wrote this, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. You see, when the light came, they partly didn't recognize it because they hadn't been taught the right things, but they also partly didn't recognize it because they didn't like what he was bringing. He exposed the darkness. We just spent a long time in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. 
And we heard Jesus saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. One of the ones he said is, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her. Jesus was exposing something there. See, people play games with God's word. They played them then, we play them now. Like, well, I, I haven't cheated on my wife, but all these lustful thoughts. And sometimes today, we'll have people that are single or young people will say, well, where does it say sex is just for, for married people? Well, right here. <laughs> How does it say, when does it say that sex outside of marriage is wrong? Jesus just said, even sexual thoughts, much less any type of action, that's too far. Sexual activity, it's for the marriage. And why? When we got to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what did Jesus say? The person who builds their house on my teaching, on these things, they're going to have a strong house. It's going to be a wise person that does that. We always have to include the why that the light exposes something, not to do harm. Caleb told us a while ago, why did Jesus come to the world? Why did God send him to the world? Because he loves the world. Why did he expose the darkness? Because he loves people. He wants things to go well for us. And this isn't new with Jesus. You can go back to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and look towards the end of it. And we read these words. God says through Moses, he says, I have set before you the path of life and the path of death. Choose life. God approaches his people and he exposes darkness not to do harm, but to do us good. We always have to look and think through the motives of why he's coming towards us. That light that exposes things, it exposes it for a purpose. But we run the danger because of our lust, our disordered desires, our willful ignorance. We can miss the light. Luke writes this in Acts. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not look, recognize him, nor did they understand the utterances of the prophets, those, those true lights, but they weren't the light, but they spoke to the truth and they pointed to the true light. They didn't pay attention. They didn't get it right, which are ready every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. They fulfilled the very prophecies that they were reading. The apostle Paul traveled a lot and he spoke to people. And there was one particular group of people that he came in contact with in the land of Berea. And sometimes you may hear someone say, be a Berean. Well, what is that talking about? This group of people heard no one, no, none other than the Apostle Paul, probably saw him work some miracles. That's a pretty powerful validation for your, your teaching, right? But when they heard him teach, you know what the Bereans did? They went back and they're like, okay, he was talking about Isaiah. Let's go read Isaiah. The Bereans fact-checked the Apostle Paul. That's a pretty big deal. We need to take lessons from the fact that the, Israel, the people of Israel, they missed their Messiah. We need to turn, take a lesson from the Bereans. We want always to put your teachers under the authority of this book that's been preserved for 2,000 years. Don't take anything for granted. Don't take anything I say as, as the same as the gospel. Check it. Fact check it. Be a Berean. Find out if that's really what the Word of God says because we all have a tendency towards confirmation bias. Let's move now and look at the people who do receive him. 
because that's not the end of the story. There were those that rejected him, but there's also those that received. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive, who believed in his name, he, came, he, began, he gave them the right to become children of God. He gave them the right to become children of God. A remnant of people do believe. Even a remnant of the descendants of Abraham. When we read this about Jesus being rejected by his people, his people rejected him, the officials rejected him, but God didn't reject them. His arms were still open to the people of Abraham, the children of Abraham. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear in Romans. He tells us, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. I myself am an Israelite and a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, I'm Jewish, and I didn't reject him. I've received him. He's open to us. That rejection was one-sided. Now, Israel has been set aside as their main instrument for God, but he's not done with them. God's love for his people, for all his creation, he's always moving towards them. And here we have an interesting concept that I don't think we can belabor too much. Notice at the end what it says, he gave them the right to become children of God. Continue into verse 13. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This idea of being born is very important in the Gospel of John, and I don't want you to miss the significance of it. When you get into chapter 3 and you read about the great conversation between Jesus and the old Pharisee Nicodemus, he tells the, the man Nicodemus who says he's an old man, he says, you have to be born again. Some translations have born from above. It's a spiritual birth. And he's like, how is this? This concept of being born is very important. Look at what it, how it explains it to us in verse 13. Born not of blood nor of the will. It's not a fleshly birth, not of the will of man, but of God. Every conception, every birth has two parties. A father and a mother come together, and there's a conception and ultimately a birth. God the Father has come into his creation, and he has initiated life. He is offering life. And the way that this conception takes place is we receive it. How do you become a child of God? He lays it for us out very clearly to those who received him, who believed in his name. If you came to faith in Christ just a few minutes ago when uh, Caleb was talking, Something took place inside of you. There was something born inside of you, and it will never change. The Apostle Paul says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. It's a transformation. The world's going to look different if we'll open our eyes and look at it. If we will focus on what he's offering us, if we will keep receiving it, We'll be transformed in that way. How do we do this? How do we walk as children of the light? By continuing to receive what he offers. Sometimes in, in some traditions, you will get the idea that, okay, we're saved by faith, but everything else, well, I got to roll up my sleeves and get it done and work hard. <laughs> what we want to teach, what we teach is that you were born by faith and you grow by faith. 
Life flows from him. Life comes from continuing to believe him. The writer of Hebrews helps us with something. There was a very great promise made to Joshua back when he was entering into the land. Joshua was told by God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews, he says that's meant for us too. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's finding a way each and every day to approach us, to help us, to show us the way. I've been thinking about this statement for a few weeks now. What we believe about the character and motive of the one who approaches us in the dark will determine if we receive or reject him. I'm going to leave that up for a second. We're in a world that has, has darkness in it. You may be wrapped up in it in some very ugly ways. There may be some darkness in your world that's come from a different, a different place. It may be sickness. It may be financial problems. There may, be, there may have been a recent death or a recent series of deaths, and you're just thinking, I'm just ready for the holidays to be over. Or maybe you're just like, I'm just ready for this ride to end. Life is just hard. It's, there's darkness. If we believe that the one that's approaching us is coming to do us harm, we're going to hide from him. What I see in Scripture and what I've tried to lay out this morning, that this light that's approaching us, if we will set our eyes on it and receive it, he's approaching us to do good. If you go all the way back to Genesis 3, the very first sin of Adam and Eve, the very first words out of God's mouth, where are you? And he was walking towards them. What do you believe about the character of God? Do you know we live in a world when people hear the name of Jesus, not everyone, not everyone is drawn to that. When people hear the word Christian, sometimes they think of bigots. Sometimes they think of people that are hateful and ugly. Some of you may be coming from a background where you were in a church that was abusive or a ministry that was abusive or a minister did you harm. And so when you hear about the light that Jesus brings, it may actually not register with you. We have to not judge Jesus by those who represent him poorly. This light that's come into the world, like Caleb said, like we see all through Scripture, it's, he's come to do us good. Even when he exposes things, it's to do us good so that we build our house on the truth. We build our house on the good things. That's what he's approaching us for. Have you been born again? Have you been born from above? If you haven't, I would invite you again to do so. It's permanent. You join a family. We believe and we teach that once a person comes to faith in Christ, they can, never be, they can never be disowned. I have a daughter. I love my daughter very much. She and I get along well. It's feasible that a time could come that we wouldn't get along. But you know what? She's still my daughter. She has my ears. Okay? It's covered up with hair for her case. She has my ears. She has my DNA. I can't disown her. She is always connected to me. The born-again language is so important. The born-from-above language. You, when you accept him, it is permanent, and you're his. Do you hear him approaching you today in whatever darkness that you're in? I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about 
whatever part of your life feels like darkness. I told the story about being in the, the woods and the aching weight of the darkness that was around me. I just couldn't wait for the sun to come up and the noises that I heard, I didn't know was somebody approaching me to do me good or to do me harm. Focus on whatever is darkness in your life right now and listen to these words. These are the words of Jesus approaching you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, open your eyes. It's from Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Those are the words, that's the voice of the one that's approaching you. Not to do you harm, not to be overbearing and critical and, and whip you into shape. He's coming to be the light of your life. He's coming to offer you life. I would implore you to consider receiving that light. As we think about the birth of our Savior and we celebrate that this year, as we're approaching Christmas, let us listen for the voice that's approaching us. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.